Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You are listening to the Seed to Seed message for September 2020. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby in Oklahoma. It's the 31st of August as I do this message. It's two months since I preached the last message in the series on Know Who You Are. And uh, I'm at last able to get on with the series and preach this month's message. Uh, Bev and I have had a very relaxed time uh, during these last two months. We did go to Nashville, to Murfreesboro, to speak at uh, the conference of Shop Fix Academy and the Shop Hackers in uh, the embassy suites there with Aaron Stokes and his organization and had a great time. Uh, we just love that, being able to minister to people who are, most of them, unchurched. It was a blessing to Bevanar to be there and to also to touch base with some fr- old friends while we were there. And it was a good time. Uh, we were blessed this past month because our grandson from Colorado, Braden, uh, the oldest of Brad's children flew down and spent eight days with us. And what a delightful time that was to have him with us. And uh, he's certainly growing up to be a fine young man, as all our grandchildren are just growing and blowing. And we are greatly blessed. Well, this month's message, I am now getting into the meat of knowing who you are, of why it is important to know who you are, to know your identity. And the reason simply is because we are on this earth and we have a reason for being here. I'm very careful of saying you have a purpose and and getting focused in on purpose-driven living because I believe that life is a wonderful gift from the Father to be received and enjoyed for just as it is. But at the same time, any son who loves his father will want to do what pleases his father. And certainly we were created unto good works. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is something that we are to be doing on this earth. And I'm going to summarize it under a heading that I've actually called this message, Plundering the Enemy's Goods. I get that heading from two accounts that we have of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees. First of all, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, I'm going to read this whole passage to you. I'm going to read both passages to you. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed. Just let me say right away that demon possession is a concept that is imposed on the scriptures by the translators of the King James Version and subsequent translators. It is not in the original Greek. The two words that are used for demon activity in mankind is to be demonized or to have a demon to be demonized or have a demon. The question arises, can a Christian have a demon? And the answer is this, a Christian can have whatever he wants. If you choose to allow a demon entrance and activity in your life, 
you'll have it. And here we're going to use Jesus' catch-all declaration according to your faith, be it unto you. And that will become clearer as we go through this passage. So this man was demonized, he was blind, and he was mute. And Jesus healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every king divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me, is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now, this is the passage in Luke's gospel. There's slight different emphasis that Jesus gives. He says there, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. In Matthew's gospel, it says with the spirit of God. Here he says with the finger of God. And I tell you, it's so exciting when you understand your authority, when you understand who you are and the authority that has been given to you. You can just point at a person that is manifesting demons and the demons recognize that authority. It's just remarkable. Jesus said with the finger of God, when he pointed, there was power and authority even in, in him pointing. When a strong man fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So in Matthew, he talks about binding the strong man, and here he talks about taking away all the weapons overcoming him, overpowering him, taking away the weapons in which he trusted and then dividing all of his property, all of the spoils. So let's go back and look at the origins of mankind. When God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says God blessed them. This wasn't a commandment to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It was a blessing. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Commandments are to be obeyed. Blessings are to be received by faith. God didn't command you to be fruitful. God didn't command you to multiply. God blessed us. That That is a creation blessing upon all of mankind. Now, what happened was Satan came in tempted Eve and Adam, and by their listening to him 
and acceding to the temptation, he was able to usurp the authority that had been given to Adam and Eve. He was able then to become the God of this world. Adam and Eve were to have dominion over all the works of God's hand. Adam and Eve essentially were to be the gods of this world, under God, obviously. But Satan came and usurped that, and so he has become the God of this world. So he was firmly entrenched and firmly in power until Jesus comes on the scene. And at his baptism, the Spirit of God comes upon Jesus, anoints him, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He's well pleased with him before he's done one miracle, cast out one demon, done anything. He's pleased with him because he is his Son. Your identity is not based on your performance. Your identity is based on the fact that you come into relationship with the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, and you're a beloved son and daughter, not because of what you do, but because he has set his love upon you in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, right from there, the Bible says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he begins disarming Satan. The first weapon that he takes away from him is the weapon of temptation. Jesus is tempted by the devil with three temptations. And on three occasions, Jesus counteracts that temptation by speaking the word of God and neutralizing the temptation of the enemy. So until Jesus comes along, Satan is able to lure and seduce mankind through temptation, but Jesus is able to resist him. And of course, we know that he didn't resist him in the full strength of his humanity, but he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was weak and vulnerable, and Satan comes at him in his weakest and most vulnerable moment and tempts him, and he is able to defeat him. So that's the first weapon that he takes away from him. The second weapon that Jesus takes away from him is the weapon of lack and poverty. It starts with the first sign that Jesus did at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. They ran out of wine and Jesus makes 150 gallons of the very best wine. They didn't need 150 gallons, but that is the nature of God revealed through Jesus. Satan has always wanted to keep people in bondage through lack and poverty. And Jesus comes and he demonstrates the Father's nature and the Father's love and the Father's goodness by creating 150 gallons of the best wine. He doesn't, when he feeds the 5,000, just make enough for them to eat, but he makes so much that they can pick up 12 baskets full left over at the end. When he feeds the 4,000, they pick up seven baskets full. He's disarming Satan in the whole area of lack and poverty by which he has held people in captivity. The third weapon that he takes from him is sickness and disease. He heals the sick. That's his whole ministry. You just read over and over and over again in the Gospels how he heals the sick. And then the fourth weapon that he takes away is demonic oppression. He casts out demons again and again and again. The fifth weapon that he takes away is deception and ignorance. I want to read to you. uh, Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry when he starts off in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 4, he says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching, 
the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demonized, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. Do you notice that his first thing was to teach and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. What's the good news of the kingdom of God? That Satan is no longer the king, that God is king. And Jesus came to demonstrate the kingdom of God by disarming Satan again and again and again in every one of the the signs and wonders and the miracles that he performed. It was a disarmament of Satan. It was taking away the weapons in which he trusted. It was in effect binding the strong man. The weapon that he takes away there is deception and ignorance. Satan's chief weapon that he uses against us is deception because we're ignorant of the truth. And so the first thing Jesus did is to teach. It's remarkable when he goes across the Sea of Galilee and he gets to the other side and he sees the multitude and various gospel accounts says when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. And one of the gospels says, and he taught them many things and then he heals the sick and then he feeds them you see the heart of Jesus is this that that Satan will hold people in captivity as long as they can be deceived and are ignorant of the truth and so he takes away the weapon of deception and ignorance the next weapon that he takes away is the weapon of death this is the biggie because Satan since Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation, death had passed upon them and upon all mankind. And so Jesus comes in and first of all, Jairus's daughter, she is raised from the dead and it's in pretty short order. He's barely on the road and heals the woman with the issue of blood. And then they come to him and say, don't Don't worry, she's dead. And he goes in, puts the people out and says, she's not dead. She's sleeping and she raised him. So she hadn't been dead very long. And then the second resurrection is the widow of Nain. They are, the funeral procession is going to the burial ground. So it would be in Jewish custom. They buried them on the same day. And so this was the same day that the young boy had died. They were taking him to the burial. So Jesus raises him from the dead on the same day. But then you've got Lazarus and Lazarus is dead four days. (laughs) And as Martha says to Jesus, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Decay has set in in a big way. They obviously didn't embalm in those days. And so with four days of death and decay, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's a weapon of the enemy that he is used to intimidate us as the writer of the Hebrew says because the children are partakers of flesh and blood he likewise partook of the same that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death. You see, until Jesus came, Satan had the power of death and might deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The biggest fear, the biggest bondage that confronts us is the fear of death. If we can be assured of the fact that death has lost its power, death has lost its sting as 
Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And Jesus has defeated death delivered us from the power of sin because we are no longer under the law and so death no longer has power over us and so none of us should fear death now the problem is this that just as with my godly mother the night that she died in the ambulance going to the hospital she said to my sister I wonder if I've done enough and so many people are afraid of dying because of the fearing of the judgment that was to follow after they die. So the last enemy or the last weapon that had to be disarmed from Satan was the weapon that he possessed because of the law. And so listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, not sin here, but trespasses, which is a breaking of the law. You've forgiven all your trespasses. That's under the old covenant. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, that's not the law that's that's taken out of the way, nailed to the cross, but it's the charge sheet that is against you as they did when they nailed somebody to, to a cross for crucifixion. They would put the charge in. And so, like Pilate put on Jesus' uh, cross, the king of the Jews, and they came to Pilate very distraught and said, don't say he's the king of the Jews, say he said he was the king of Jews, and and Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. But that was basically the accusation, that was the charge sheet. So the charge sheet that was against you was the accusation of the law based on your trespasses, based on you breaking the law. And so that's wiped out. He's your charge sheet is wiped out, nailed to the cross. And so you've forgiven all of your trespasses. And, and then listen to this. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. He disarmed principalities and powers. Now, I've got to talk to you about this word, disarmed. Paul coins a word that is found nowhere else in the Greek language. He uses a double negative, apo, which means away from, and ek, which also means away from. A double negative, apek duo mai. He has doubly taken away the weapons. The double prefix strongly emphasizes the total disarming of Satan. Listen, the major weapon that Jesus disarmed him from was the weapon of condemnation, guilt, fear, accusation based upon not only the law, but your trespasses, your transgressions of the law. And the charge, she tells, be nailed to the cross. And so that was the major armament or weapon that Jesus had to take away from Satan. And he did it 
my brother and sister, when you get hold of that, and that's what I've been teaching over these past two years, as we've been looking, know who you are, we've dealt so much with condemnation based on the fact that when he died on the cross, he did away with the law as a basis for right standing with God, and he brought in this amazing gift of righteousness. You are righteous, not because you do right, but you are righteous because God has declared you to be righteous, and he has given to you the robes of his righteousness, and he has declared that you are righteous in Jesus Christ, and therefore there is no more condemnation against you. There is no more accusation. Now, listen, that means this. You don't need to fear death anymore because after death is, yes, there is the judgment, but you've already been judged in Christ. So there is no judgment for past sin or for past failure and so on. It's done away with in Jesus Christ. I'm going to show that to you. In John chapter 12, you have this amazing passage where some Greeks had come to the festival, they were Hellenists, had come to Jerusalem at the time of the festival. And so they came to Philip and they said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. So Philip comes to Andrew and to John. And so they come to Jesus and Jesus says, Now is the time. Now is the Son of Man going to be glorified and you remember he prays and he says father glorify your name and there's a voice from heaven that says I have both glorified it and will glorify it again and then Jesus makes the statement now is the judgment of this world now is the will the ruler of this world be cast down how did he rule the world he ruled the world through the fear of judgment and then it says this and if i be lifted up i will draw all to myself and peoples or Men is in italics there it's not in the original greek jesus drew all the judgment of God to himself for our sin. He took that judgment upon himself. And it's clear that that lifted up refers to death because the next verse says, they query about what did he mean by being lifted up? Because they said, the Bible says that the son of David or the Christ will live forever. And so they couldn't understand why he was saying, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all to myself. But Jesus drew all the judgment for sin to himself so that there's no more judgment left for us to fear. That's how he has disarmed principalities and powers. Now, Just to go back to what Matthew said about binding the strong man. There are so many Christians that feel that it is their responsibility to bind Satan, to bind the demons, to bind the devil. I want to submit to you that the one who disarmed him is the one who binds him. That we have no responsibility to bind Satan. In fact, when you start getting into that realm, you are stepping outside of the realm of your authority. You're supposed to be plundering the enemy's goods, not trying to bind him. Jesus has already bound the strong man. Luke says this, when a stronger than he comes, he overwhelms him. 
He takes away the weapons in which he trusted and he divides the spoils. My brother and sister, listen to me. You don't need to bind the strong man. Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about binding and loosing is not about binding and loosing Satan's. It's about unforgiveness. He said, binding someone is with not forgiving them. Loosing them is forgiveness. And that is confirmed by what Jesus said in John 21. Whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. We are nowhere in the scriptures told to bind, bind Satan and bind the strong man. Jesus has done that. Get out of the wrong lane. Get back in your lane. You're not binding the strong man. You're simply going to get the spoils. Jesus has already divided to you the spoils of his victory on the cross of Calvary. It's like a neighborhood where there was a big dog that was a tyrannical dog that intimidated all the little dogs in the neighborhood. And every one of those dogs was afraid of that big dog. And then one day a new family moves into the neighborhood and they've got a big dog. And this dog is afraid of nothing. And he takes on that bully dog that had terrorized the neighborhood. And this new dog chases the old bully down the street. And all the little dogs go yapping in the wake of, the, of those two dogs as they run. And the little dogs are yapping, yapping, yapping like they've won the victory because a stronger than the previous bully has come in and has taken dominion over him. And now they enter into the victory of the conqueror. And that's what we have done with Jesus Christ. He has bound the strong man. He has overpowered him. He has disarmed him. He has defeated him. Now he said, go and gather the spoils. I want to tell you this. I'm afraid that there's been such a seduction in the church that because we have have not understood who we are. We have not understood our identity because so many Christians are still under so much condemnation. We would rather go into the prayer room and ask God to do what he's already given us the authority to do. It's so easy to make the prayer meeting the most important place or your intercessory ministry as though it's up to you to, to war in the heavenlies. No, no, no. Jesus has defeated the strong man. Jesus has bound the strong man. And he said, now go and gather the spoil. And he said, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. And I'm afraid that in a lot of our so-called prayer meetings, that is an excuse to not be out there gathering the spoil. And it's because of our low self-esteem. It's because we don't understand our authority. We don't understand who we are. We're so intimidated by Satan still because we're so full of condemnation over the stuff that's wrong in our lives. We don't understand our position of righteousness is based upon the blood of Jesus and not based upon our performance. And so the enemy has been able to intimidate us and so has neutralized us from being effective in what we are to do. Now, listen to what Jesus did to his disciples when he called his disciples after he started taking away the weapons from Satan. He calls his disciples to him and he gives them power and authority. 
Listen to this. He says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 2, He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and He sent them away to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he sends them to do exactly what he had done. And that's plundering the enemy's goods. Luke 10 and verse 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Listen, Jesus has given us power and authority over all the works of the devil. And so he says, go and gather, go and gather, go and gather. If you're not gathering with me, you're scattering. I want to say this to you. If you're not plundering, you're you are probably being plundered yourself. The enemy is stealing from you because you don't know who you are and you don't know the finished work of Jesus. A friend of mine was telling about somebody that he knows who had just been on vacation, a wonderful, I won't tell you the place they went to, but been to a wonderful place. And when she came from, back from the vacation, she said to my friend, she said, man, I'm so tired because I spent my whole vacation in warring against uh, uh, Satan and in intercession. Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. You don't need to spend your whole vacation in spiritual warfare and in spiritual intercession. Go and plunder the enemy's goods. Just go and do it. You've been authorized to do it. You've been given power. You've been given authority over all the power of the devil. So all we do, as I've been teaching you now for the last few months, we have authority and it is in the words of our mouth. We can speak. And as Jesus brings out here, you can point. And Satan will recognize your authority when you know who you are and you know that you have been authorized. You'll simply point because you know that you're pointing by the spirit of God and by the authority of Jesus. And Satan has to listen to the authority of Jesus name. I referred you to Acts chapter 3, how Peter said, Be it known unto you that it is through Jesus of Nazareth and through faith in his name, this man stands before you well. Don't look at us as though by our power and our godliness, this man stands before you well. It's not about our power. It's not about our godliness. It's about the authority that has been given to us. You have been authorized to go and plunder the enemy's goods. So how do you plunder the enemy's goods? You use your mouth in accordance with what God says in his word, what he has established through the cross of Calvary, what he has finished on the cross of Calvary, you have absolute authority to declare that over all the works of the devil. Isaiah 61, listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. It's so interesting that the first thing Jesus did, we read that in Matthew chapter 4, and the first thing he said to his disciples when he said, sent them out, he says, preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Tell people that the kingdom of God is here and it's superior to the kingdom of darkness and any manifestation of the kingdom of darkness in your life can be overwhelmed and overcome by the authority of the kingdom of God in my mouth. 
preach the gospel of the kingdom. So the first thing that Jesus is anointed to do, Isaiah 61, and you are anointed to do because Christ is in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1 says. So the same anointed one and the same anointing is within you to preach good news to the poor. He has sent you, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Listen, he doesn't say to set the captive free. He said to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus has already set the captives free. He's already liberated them. Why? Because he disarmed principalities and powers. And he said, your responsibility is to proclaim liberty to the captives, to declare to the captives, you are free. Now, If they choose not to receive it, there's nothing you can do. But our responsibility is to proclaim liberty to the captives and to proclaim to the captives that the prison is open. The prison, there is no no more prison door. They are free. He says, proclaim the opening of the prison to those who are bound and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of divine favor. That's establishing the kingdom. That's plundering the enemy's goods, declaring what Jesus has already established and and accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Isaiah 61, proclaim liberty to the captives, proclaim the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, let me say this to those of you who are in business. Jesus gave us extremely fascinating parables on the talents and the pounds. And obviously this refers to more than just money and possessions. But I believe that primarily it does refer to to money that Jesus has given to all of us. According to our ability, he has given us giftings, he has given us anointings, he has given us resources in order to be fruitful and to multiply. See, so Paul says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 14, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply your seed for sowing. See, he doesn't expect you to sow your own seed. He says, I am going to supply your seed for sowing. I am going to give you all that you need in order to be fruitful. Now may who supply seed to the sow and bread for food, supply and multiply your seed for sowing. God's in the business of supplying and multiplying everything that you need in order to accomplish his purpose. He has the tragedy. The enemy has convinced you, you've got to give it all. You've got to bring it all to the table. It's up to you. It's all within you. No, those parables show us very clearly that the master said, should you not have taken what I gave you and put it with the bankers that at my own, I would have received my own with interest. Now, let me explode a myth has been taught in the Christian church. And this is what has been taught, that God doesn't expect you to be fruitful. He just expects you to be faithful. Rubbish. That's not biblical. If you're doing what God has anointed you to do with what he's equipped you to do in the right field, you will be fruitful. Our problem is that many of us, like the the slothful servant, have buried what we have because we feel so intimidated. We're so afraid of failure. We're so afraid that we don't have it within us. It wasn't up to that man to cause the increase. Jesus said, put it in the right bank, put it in the right field. 
it is through those parables that I came to America because I recognized that being in pastoral ministry was not my right field. I needed to be in a place where I could preach and teach seven days a week if necessary <laughs> because that's that's what I'm anointed. That's what I'm gifted to do. And I didn't want to be in, a, in the pastoral ministry. It, it was such a frustration to me because God had anointed me to preach and teach all the time to set the captives free through the truth of God's word to plunder the enemy's goods by preaching the good news of the gospel of the new covenant of God's grace and God's love for his people. That's my assignment as an evangelist to the body of Christ to set believers free. That's what he showed me in John chapter 11 back in 1981 when I read the story of Lazarus coming out of the grave. Jesus gave Lazarus resurrection life. But he came out of the tomb, not walking and leaping and praising God, but bound hand and foot with the grave clothes and with a napkin bound about his head. And Jesus turned to the bystanders and said, loose him and let him go. And I read that in back in 1981 in in Zimbabwe. And I heard the Lord say to me, that is your assignment. Loose my people. I have given them resurrection life, but so many of them are unable to live in it and walk in it and express it because they're so bound with the grave clothes of condemnation and and legalism and guilt and fear and so many other grave clothes, poverty, loose them and let them go. And so that has been my assignment and I stay in my lane. My lane is to set God's people free from the bondages that have bound them. And in that way, I'm plundering the enemy's goods. I'm taking back from Satan what he has stolen and bringing back into the kingdom of God. But more than that, I do believe that this applies to finances. I believe that what has happened is the enemy has so sowed a lie into the body of Christ that we have embraced poverty because of what happened in the early church. And Paul warned about it in Timothy. He said that in the last days, this is going to happen. He said that uh, men will give heed to seducing spirits and to doctrines of demons. That's what he calls it. This is it. Now, the spirit expressly says, he says in 1 Timothy 4 verses 1, that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. That completely goes against and contradicts the creation blessing of God on Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. But what happened was the church began to exalt celibacy as being in a high place uh, as an expression of devotion to God. That's nonsense. That is from the pit of hell. It robs me of my fruitfulness, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Years ago, as I was taking a shower and I was meditating on these verses, I felt, this is my personal thing, don't, don't 
Don't say this is God, but I felt the Lord saying to me, the same spirit that brought celibacy into the church brought poverty into the church because poverty was also seen as a great expression of devotion. But it's Satan's attempt to steal from the body of Christ what rightfully belongs to us. Listen, we are the seed of Abraham. We are called with Abraham's calling. And what is that calling? To be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And I have discovered this. It is impossible to be a blessing when you can't even pay your bills. See, poverty and lack and debt is a weapon of the enemy to keep God's people from being prosperous and therefore being able to bless others. I've said this before and I want to say it again. There is no greater selfishness than poverty. There's no greater selfishness than being content to just make enough for you and your family. God's purpose is for you to abound unto every good work, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10. Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 8 9, he became poor that you through his poverty might be made rich. For you to accept anything less than being rich in this world is a deception from the enemy. It's robbing you of your creation blessing to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and be a blessing to all mankind. That's your creation blessing that is upon you. And listen to this. Uh, Two chapters later, he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. He doesn't say, command those who are rich in this present age to sell all that they have and give it to the poor. And the reason for that is very simple. Jesus was dealing with one rich young ruler and his wealth was a problem there. But the early church sold up everything. And as a result, within a few years, the church was in utter poverty. And Paul was taking up offerings in Asia in order to support the church in Jerusalem because of the poverty in the church in Jerusalem. Why? Because they all gave up their means of generating income and generating wealth, selling their lands. That's dumb to sell your land. That is your ability to produce so that you can be a blessing to others. And as a result, a communal poverty descended on the church in Jerusalem so that Paul had to get offerings from other churches in Asia in order to support the church in Jerusalem. Paul does not say, command those who are rich in this present age to sell all that they have and give it to the poor. They, he just says not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's the truth. He gives you all things richly to enjoy for you. And then out of your abundance, verse 18 says, let them do good and that they be rich in good works. You can't be rich in good works unless you embrace riches for yourself. God wants you to be rich. Jesus became poor so that you might become rich. Now what's happened is the enemy has plundered the body of Christ because we've embraced poverty as a sign of spirituality. And we've sort of been suspicious of those who have the ability to get wealth. Listen, God said to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish the covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. He gives you the power to get wealth, to establish his covenant. What's that covenant? 
for God's people to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. I don't know about you, but when God began to reveal this to me, I again began to believe for prosperity. I began to believe for abundance. I began to believe for restoration, restoration of what had been stolen from our family. My great-grandfather was extremely wealthy. And I won't go into all the circumstances, but he disowned three of his boys from his first marriage. And my grandfather was, lived in poverty. My father was raised in poverty. One of 11 children on a small holding on the side of the Vaal River uh, with alluvial diamond diggings, but getting most of their income just from a fruit orchard. They lived in abject poverty. Satan stole from our family the inheritance. And I've been believing God that he's going to restore the inheritance that has been stolen from our family through ill-advised actions. Listen, it's time for us to begin to believe for that because God wants us to be able to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. That's what what riches are for. First of all, he gives you all things richly to enjoy for you. God is not wanting to deprive you so that you give away everything. He wants you to enjoy everything richly and then out of that abundance to do good to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. I preached this message on plundering the enemy's goods in a church in Johannesburg area in Kempton Park. And the next day, Bev and I were at a mall on East Rand. And as we were coming out of the mall, a young man was going into the mall and he recognized us from the night before. And he said, I am going in to plunder the enemy's goods because I said to the businessmen that night, don't think that you're just going in to make a living or whatever. You're going in to plunder the enemy's goods. Start believing for great increase in your business so that you've got the means to be a blessing to the families of the earth. Plunder the enemy's goods. Go in with the attitude of God is going to give me favor. He's going to give me supernatural wisdom. He's going to give me supernatural ideas in business so that I can plunder from the enemy where it rightfully belongs in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said, if you're not gathering with me, you're scattering. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. So the question I want to ask you is, are you gathering or are you scattering? Are you with him or are you against him? Is the enemy just devouring you because you have not understood who you are, because you haven't understood that he was disarmed at the cross of Calvary, and you are more convinced of the enemy's ability to harass you than you are in God's power to keep you? It's time for that to end. It's time for you to begin to rise up with the words of your mouth and say, Satan, no more, no more. And can I say this? Watch the words of your mouth because the words of your mouth are the place where you exercise authority and the enemy wants to steal from you. He wants to plunder you. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who hear this word and I ask that the spirit of the kingdom will rise up in them as kingdom conquerors, kingdom warriors, kingdom plunderers. And those who have been plundered right now in Jesus' name, I declare liberty to the captives. You are loosed from that poverty. You are loosed from that sickness. You are loosed from that oppression of the enemy. You are loosed from that ignorance 
that, that has bound you. You are loosed from the deception of the enemy. You are loosed from the temptation of the enemy. You are loosed from that addiction. You are loosed in Jesus' name. I declare liberty to the captives in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. This is the conclusion of this message. You've been listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this and other available teachings, please visit our website at www.liberatedliving.com. God bless you and thank you for listening.